quick trigger warning. In this episode, we discuss rape and sexual assault. Please use discretion and take care of yourself. In a single year, over one million women are raped, and one in three women and one in four men will experience sexual violence in their lifetimes. That's why we're here, April 1st, 2020, to celebrate Sexual Assault Awareness Month, SAM for short. The goal is to raise awareness about sexual violence, as well as how to prevent it. And the theme for this year, I ask for consent. So, today, celebrate not only the first day of Sam, but also the first episode of season two. We're going to kick things off with a deep dive into the theme of Sam 2020, consent. And then, for the rest of the season, to celebrate, each episode will feature an interview with a new expert from around the country. From reproductive justice with Whiskative, to a psychotherapist turned true crime writer from D.C., to a nationally recognized millennial money expert. It's gonna be a fun ride. Welcome to season two. Here's why the I Ask for Consent campaign is such an important theme for Sam 2020. Three words, and you're probably going to recognize them. No means no. That used to be the gold standard for consent. And it's a good one, don't get me wrong. But it's not complete. It's not equal. It puts the responsibility for consent on one person. It makes consent more about what you don't want to do versus what you do want to do. It also leaves a massive gray area for violence and coercion to thrive, where silence or a lack of resistance basically means consent. So how do we flip the switch? From no means no to yes means yes, where we ask for an affirmative, enthusiastic form of consent. Well, consent is a skill. It needs to be practiced. Think of it like building muscles. You have your ab day, leg day, consent day. Consent is a normal and necessary part of sex, whether it's a long-term partner or a casual hookup. What Ever the type of relationship doesn't matter when it comes to sex. Consent needs to happen every time and keep happening throughout the encounter. And it should happen before any kind of touch, even holding hands. Asking early for the littler things helps build that foundation of trust and communication. Also, note, this cannot apply to underage partners. Children cannot consent. It does not matter if you think they seem older than their chronological age. I am looking at you, Todd Bow. No. It's also not consent when a person in power uses sex to gain something, like have sex with me and I'll give you a raise or a promotion. This conversation applies between two consenting adults on equal footing. Anyways, consent is ongoing. Consent for one action, such as a kiss, is not a blanket yes for all actions, for other forms of contact. You can say yes to a kiss, but no to all other forms of contact. And even consenting to one kiss does not mean you consent to all kisses through the end of time. 
Consent is an open dialogue about what you and your partner want and also what you don't want. You can say, I want you to kiss me here, but don't kiss me here. That's totally fine. And consent can be withdrawn at any point if one person isn't comfortable with what's happening, even if they said yes before. So if you are kissing and you thought, oh, kissing is fine, but suddenly you don't want to kiss anymore, you can say, I changed my mind. And you can stop. One last thing. If there are drugs and alcohol involved, consent might not be consent. Or if the person is unconscious, if they're incapacitated, they cannot give consent. So something I hear a lot is people saying how it's not really sexy to ask for consent, that it ruins the moment, which was confusing to me. Because if you're talking about what you want and don't want to happen, you're probably going to have sex. To quote, nationally recognized syndicated sex advice columnist and local Seattleite and America's sweetheart Dan Savage, there are four magic words gay guys will use during an encounter. What are you into? And besides, being open to sharing what you want and what your boundaries are and having your partner respect that is sexy. It creates a positive environment. But yeah, you're right. In the moment, it can be difficult to have a full conversation, so have it before the clothes come off. Talk about things like what going all the way or hooking up means to you. Talk about protection, your last STI test, not forgetting about the window, by the way. Talk about experiences that you liked or didn't. Talk about your boundaries. It can even happen over text or over Zoom, not necessarily in person. And in the moment, you don't need to be like, now I am touching your hand. Are you sure? How about now? But are you sure you're sure? You know what? I'm not convinced also. I'm going to ask five more times. And here, here's a contract. Please sign this. Great. Now I need 20 minutes to get notarized. Okay, bye. Yeah, no, not realistic. Going back. If you've had a conversation before sex to clarify what's okay and what's not, that can streamline things. And... If you're in the moment, make it part of the fun. Say things like, I'd love to kiss you there, or I think it'd be so hot if. Make it part of the fun. And if your partner is enthusiastic about it, great. I mean, still check in though, especially if you change what you're doing. Again, you can say things like, how does that feel? Or what would you like me to do next? Or you want to try this? And keep in mind, that body language is also important. We want verbal consent. That is crucial. But what if your partner says, I guess, or I mean, if you want to, and averts their eyes and hedges, and there's a little bit of inflection where you're not sure if they actually want it. It could be a sign they feel pressured to say yes, even though they don't actually want to. And even though they don't want to, keep in mind this might not be something you did. Maybe they've had past trauma experiences that has nothing to do with you. It doesn't matter. Either way, it's best to be safe. If you get any hint at all, your partner does not want to continue, stop. If it's mid-kissing, stop. Mid-intercourse, stop. Doesn't matter what you're doing. If the person's uncomfortable, cut it out. Offer to cuddle. 
watch some Netflix, snack on some popcorn, accept their decision without any guilt. Don't make them feel bad for saying no or try and pressure them into saying yes. On the flip side, if you are being asked to give consent, be specific of your boundaries and what you require. Like, I agree to this with this kind of protection. If you're unsure about something or if you're not in the mood, it's best to say no. If you're interested but unsure, you can say, I like how that sounds. Let's talk about it and what it could look like. And maybe it's something you want to do in the future with boundaries that you discussed. And if you just don't want to and you want to outright say no, well, it's tough. I I get it. Especially if you have past trauma or if you've had a bad experience with someone who didn't accept no or made you feel bad. Or more simply, if you don't want to disappoint your partner. But it's your body. You have the right to your own body and you deserve to be 100% comfortable and happy with what happens to it. So you can say things like, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Or, I'm not feeling up to that. Or even more simply, no, I don't want to. I want to expand a bit on the verbal and nonverbal cues. Why we need to watch out for these. Verbal consent can be hard to give. It was for me, for a long time. Even with loving partners who asked me what I wanted, I would freeze or hedge or skirt the subject because of my past shame from my sexual abuse. Even without that trauma playing a factor, there were still things I did I wasn't fully comfortable with because I thought it was what I had to do. My sex ed was that women were supposed to pleasure men while men sought sex, and that was just normal. I remember telling a partner to hold off asking me for a certain thing because of the past trauma I had around it. I said I wanted time to get to know him so I could trust that I would feel safe afterwards. Well, right after that, he non-verbally asked for exactly what I asked he would not ask for, this certain thing. And I froze. And in my head, there was this maelstrom of, well, I don't want him to be upset, and I'm so excited to be with him, but I asked him not to do this, but he ignored me. Would it be so bad just to do it and everything in my body felt numb and frozen? And I froze up for so long and sat there blankly until he finally said, well, get to it. And I didn't think past that point, I just acted. Was sexual assault, legally speaking? No. Was it awful? Yes. This was someone I trusted, and that trust was broken. Now, how about this? Boy meets girl. Girl meets boy. Girl goes to boy's apartment, and he tries to pressure her into having sex. She non-verbally tries to move away. But the thing was, he doesn't let her move away. She says she used verbal and non-verbal cues to indicate how uncomfortable and distressed she was, describing things like, 
Her hand stopped moving at some point. She stopped moving her lips. She turned cold. Boy doesn't notice or seemingly ignores this, which was weird in girl's opinion. Girl remembers boy asking, where do you want me to fuck you? Girl says she found the question tough to answer because she didn't want to fuck him. She says she wasn't really even thinking that. Boy keeps asking, so girl says, next time. Boy says, oh, do you mean a second date? Girl says, oh yeah, sure. Boy says, if I pour you another glass of wine right now, would that count as a second date? Recognize the story? It was the worst night of someone's life with Aziz Ansari. Regardless of how you think that story was reported, it highlights a breakdown in asking consent and recognizing what your partner wants. Ansari being a public figure automatically puts him in a position of authority, while Grace was not. There was never a discussion prior about what each person expected. Grace claims she repeatedly pulled away and felt herself going numb, while Ansari used coercion and tried to override her cues. I was really struck when Grace said she tried to stop by saying, we'll do it next time, and Asari just tried to coerce her by saying, well, if I pour some wine, would that count as next time? That's coercion, not taking her no for an answer. And did he just decide to ignore it intentionally, or did he really not know? Or maybe a bit of both. Parental guidance and sex ed in schools tends to boil down to the following. Abstinence is key. Use protection. Don't have sex. You will get pregnant. And die. Which leaves us, women and boys, looking to outside sources to figure out ourselves. What is sex? Porn and pop culture becomes our sex ed. Now, I want to say, I don't have a problem with porn. There is tons of great porn out there, feminist porn, ethical porn, queer porn, all that stuff. But a lot of free, easily searchable porn tends to display an unrealistic and more and more often these days, hardcore type of porn. And it's seen as something that men do to women with the women's pleasure as this performance for the man's satisfaction. Cindy Gallup, in her 2009 TED Talk, had this to say about how men come to expect hardcore porn. These days, Gallup says, men expect these things to be normal. She began her TED Talk by saying, no, you may not come on my face, to a young partner. Young men may also feel they need to act out these hardcore porn acts because otherwise they aren't manly man enough in a culture that tells them to measure their self-worth by how many women they have sex with. Cindy Gallup also raises this concern. If a young woman has seen that same hardcore porn and she has a boyfriend who wants to do it because he has also seen that porn, she might be convinced to let him do it and pretend like she likes it. And this leads to a cycle rooted in toxic masculinity and entitlement. That's bad for both men and women. And it's not just seen in porn. Let's pretend. Porn was suddenly magically gone. Poof, right now. 
Sexual media in culture, movies, TV, video games overwhelmingly portrays women as sexualized objects where looks are prioritized much more than their agency. These women are there for men. According to researchers at the University of South California, in G-rated movies, G-rated ones that little kids watch, fewer than a third of the speaking characters are female. And that's a figure that's held steady over the 10 years it's been tracked. And the percentage of women showing skin is similar to that in R-rated movies. And not just because R-rated movies are getting more conservative. Music may have an even bigger impact. So I have this quote here from a piece that Peggy Orstein wrote in the New York Times. Quote, I think music has some of the biggest impact on how guys treat girls. Another high school senior told me, in the car, my friends and I listen to all this stuff that's just... And here, he rattled off several oh-so-unprintable lines about women and sex. When you hear that, like, five, six, ten times a day, it makes it hard to escape having that mindset. I mean, notice the language music can use to describe women. Things like bitches, hoes. Remember blurred lines? A white man standing around singing, I know you want it. I hate these blurred lines. Well, in the background, there's a sexualized woman standing quietly and just being there, not having any input. And then we come to video games. Gamergate? Anyone? The trope of the unrealistically sexy woman in a video game. Looking at you, Tomb Raider. It's persisted, even through today. I remember... When Mass Effect Andromeda was released, there was this ugly backlash to how its female characters were designed. By the way, I'm all about Femrider. Also, Femship for the win. Die hard. Anyways, Bioware, the creator, was accused of intentionally making their female characters ugly to appease feminists and be more politically correct. A female worker at Bioware was targeted and accused of being behind this create ugly female characters campaign. And she was threatened. And oh, this was 2017, by the way. Okay, so if this is our education, all of this mess, is it really any wonder when it comes to real life sex, we're left fumbling in the dark? Is it really that hard to understand why this leads to a mentality where men can learn about consent and technically understand it as a concept, but then choose to ignore it? When sex education has been to seek sex, that women are objects, that you, as a man, are owed sex, that your masculinity depends on it, that it's do or die, the concept of consent becomes more about what men want and feel they are entitled to. So, a doctoral candidate from the University of Michigan, Nicole Badera, interviewed a bunch of male college students in 2015. And each of these guys had, you know, at least some concept of what consent was, right? The idea that both par parties want to be there, want to do what they're doing. Most of them also endorsed the whole yes means yes standard, you know, that requires active, conscious, continuous, and freely given consent, all that stuff. However, 
when they were asked to describe their own sexual experience in the hookup and in relationships. Well, that's when these guys began to realize that maybe what they had done conflicted with what they had just defined as consent. Their ideas of yes were kind of elastic, so much so that some of the behavior they talked about actually met the legal criteria for assault. There was a guy who coerced his girlfriend into anal sex after she said she didn't want to, but I guess kind of will let you try. She then made it clear that he should stop. And he did, eventually, and seemed aware of how upset she was, but found a way to rationalize it. Quote, he was angry with her for refusing him because he thought a real man shouldn't have had to beg for sex. The whole thing honestly reminds me of, it was some Ivy League college. What was it? The one that was shouting, no means yes, yes means anal. Oh, right. That was Yale. Yale! They were chanting that. Oh, goodness me. And that was back, I think, in 2010? Not too long ago. Anyways, going back to the article. It also describes times where young men have sort of, quote-unquote, raped girls, where they have pushed women's heads down to get oral sex, or taken a Snapchat video of a prom date performing oral sex and sending it to the baseball team. Drinking only escalates this behavior, where boys who were drinking were more likely to over-perceive a woman's willingness to have sex. And boys who were drunk, or even drinking just a little bit, were more likely to act aggressively and to forgive an aggressive act. Although, notice, however, if it's flipped, if it's a woman, she is more likely to be blamed for being assaulted while she's drinking. Okay, one more quote from this article about a sophomore college student who ignored his partner's hesitation about a sexual encounter. Quote, I suppose there was something in the back of my head that I wasn't fully listening to, he admitted. I guess when you've been flirting with someone the whole evening and you feel close to what you've been wanting to happen, it's difficult to put on the brakes. And I don't know. I was enjoying myself. I was having what in that moment was a positive sexual experience. I think I just wanted to, which is scary. Miss Badera's conclusion? College men may actually be part of an expectation that they can control both partners' narratives about desire and consent. Young men still too often learn to prioritize their pleasure over women's feelings and to interpret a partner's behavior through the lens of what they want. So, what can we do? Knowing what consent is and teaching and practicing it is part of the solution, but only part. We need a cultural shift. We need to change how men and women are shown to interact in our culture. We need to teach kids at a young age how to advocate for control over their bodies, even if it's things like they don't want to hug or kiss a relative. We need to respect that. Show them they have the right to their bodies. 
we need to have conversations with our kids as awkward as that is going to be about what healthy consensual sex looks like and not just have it once but have it again and again and again and again and again until consent until yes means yes is normal because right now the system we have doesn't benefit anyone sex should be pleasurable it should be fun it should be a positive beautiful experience if the aziz and sorry thing proves anything it's that our cultural views of sex are hurtful for everyone in that situation it happened in a no means no context versus a yes means yes context and it created a situation where Ansari probably felt that he didn't physically force sex, he didn't fit that back alley rapist archetype, and therefore he did nothing wrong. He even was confused when Grace told him she felt traumatized, remember? But his actions hurt someone, and they traumatized her. Although he still thinks he's a good guy, he did a bad thing. He still ignored his partner's discomfort. He still tried to coerce sex, even though there were red flags. Is he really a bad guy? Well, it's hard to say. We weren't there. But in my opinion, it feels like he was following what our culture has taught him. Doesn't mean he's off the hook. But if our culture was different, if maybe his education would have been yes means yes, look for those signs. It could have been different. His pain, her pain, it could have been avoided. And what happened that night, what happens every day, is a consequence of our society refusing to talk about consent. What we currently have hurts everyone involved, even the men it's supposed to benefit. Next time, we're heading to Washington State to talk about all things reproductive justice. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, or any, or you want to share your own story, please write to us at thedivadiscussion at gmail.com. We are also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at The Diva Discussion. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also visit their website, thehotline.org. If you identify as an abuser or a word you might be an abuser, please call the hotline as well. They'll be able to help you. Please remember, you're not alone.